Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Lately, I've been thinking about the power of a word. Have you ever noticed how much power there can be in a single word? One word can carry an infinite amount of power. I'll say it this way. One word, dependent upon who speaks it, can change everything. Can change everything. I'll give you for instance. Five years ago, on a good Friday... I asked my girlfriend to marry me, and she said one word that has forever changed my life, and I thought I was prepared to hear, and I was in no way prepared for. She said the word yes, and I here I am today, totally different. It's changed everything. Some of you guys, you've gotten married, and your wife has come to you and said one word that has changed everything. She said the word pregnant. And your life is for, and then she came back and she said twins, and everything changed. I mean, one word, the power of one word, great, the word great. If you're working on a project at work and your job is is pretty much riding on this thing and your boss comes back to you and says, great, I mean, that changes everything. You're relying so much on that word. You're hoping your boss will say something like great, just ordinary words, Just everyday words, but dependent upon who speaks them, they change everything. There are other words that impact us as well, impact us negatively. Words like cancer. That word is negative, but it's even more negative and it changes everything if it's coming from your doctor. Another word, divorce. Just an ordinary word, but when coming from your parents, it changes your whole life. You see what I'm saying? One word has power. Word has power to change everything. Change the way we view the world, change the way we interact with the people around us, to change our worldview, to change our perspective, to change the way we live, the way we think. And there's so much power in a word. Tonight I want to look at a moment in history when when one word turned a very frightening scenario into one of the most talked about stories for generations. And, And this is a curious passage for Good Friday. If you're looking ahead, you're wondering, what's going on? Why... This for Good Friday, but just stick with me. We're going to be in Matthew 14. Jesus has, has just fed the 5,000. We get to Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land. We know about three miles out. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. This message tonight is for 
all of us who have slipped and fallen. If you've been walking on water since the day you were born, feel free to take a nap. This is for those of us that started some things we didn't finish, who intended some things we didn't carry out, said and did some things we really wish we didn't say, things we really wish we wouldn't have done. So let's unpack this passage of Scripture because it's this, this passage isn't as simple as it seems. I remember as a boy hearing, Peter took his eyes off Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus. And that's great, but as I've grown, I know about storms now. And we're all going through storms. I don't pretend to know the storms that you're going through in life right now, and you ought not pretend to know the storms that I'm going through. There's always more to someone and to someone's life than we see or that appears to be happening. So this passage of Scripture isn't as simple as it seems. First, if you're going to talk about Peter, you're talking about a walking contradiction. And we're not judging Peter because there's contradictory things in our lives too, aren't there? But Peter's name before Jesus changed it was Simon. And Simon was prone to outbursts of anger, uh, had his foot in his mouth all the time. He was always the first to speak and he was never in doubt, though he was often wrong. But Jesus called him Peter. Peter from the Greek meaning Petros. Petros meaning rock. He, he was Peter and he was Simon. He was Simon. He was impulsive with his foot in his mouth. He was also Peter, bold and courageous. He was Simon, a coward who, who denies Jesus at the time of his crucifixion. He is also Peter, the one who gets to preach boldly on the day of Pentecost. Boldly declaring the gospel in the face of opposition. And what I'm trying to say is that God knows how to deal with your downside. I don't have fill-ins for you tonight, but I'd love to just write, for you to write down some of these thoughts as we go. God knows how to deal with your downside. Now here we see Simon's great, great fear and Peter's great faith, and God loves him through both. People think, well, God can't do anything because of, of a weakness in my life. Well, God knows how to deal with your weakness. He knows what to do with you. He knows how to fix your problems. He knows how to love you more than that. You know, I think of Peter in his first epistle. He says, God knows how to rescue godly people from their trials. He loves you when you're on it, and he loves you when you're way off path. He loves you when you get it right, and he loves you when you get it wrong. He loves you when you're bold, declaring the gospel. He loves you when you're hiding under the covers. He loves you when you're walking on water. He loves you when you're sinking. So let's walk through these a little at a time. We'll discover some interesting things. The first thing that I see that's kind of contradictory is, is in this first verse here of this passage. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now, I can understand if this were a cruise ship or a getaway, they were very tired. They'd been working very hard. But it wasn't. And how much choice does it sound like it had in the matter? He made them get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up by a mountainside to pray by himself. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves. Now, this is contradictory to the way I think, to the way we think. I mean, when you hold this story up against some sayings that we all like to say, things like, well, the safest place in the world is in the will of God. Well, if the safest place in the world is in the will of God, what in the world is he doing sending his disciples out into a storm? He made them get into a boat that he knew was headed for trouble. 
And I point this out because we tend to think that every time something is difficult, every time we enter into a storm, it's the enemy, it's the devil. Every storm, every problem is the devil. But just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not of God. Yes, we do cause our own storms sometimes. We can't blame every storm on the will of God. I mean, there's dumb decisions that we've made, that we're making, that we're suffering the consequences. But here we see Jesus putting his own disciples in a boat that's headed for trouble. Here's what I'm saying. Just because your marriage is difficult right now doesn't mean it's God's will for you to leave the marriage. Just because there's tension with your child doesn't mean you should withdraw as a parent. Just because things aren't going your way at work or in your ministry doesn't mean it's time for you to withdraw or become apathetic. Just because ministry has become unclear for you doesn't mean it's time for you to give up. Just because it's hard doesn't mean God's not there. I could go on, but, but let's take it to another level. If you read this account, this story in the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, and John all tell this story. If you read it in Mark 648, he, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. He's about to pass by. Now, I always thought this story was about how Jesus rushed out to help them. But to understand it from this perspective, Jesus intended to walk right past them. He saw they were in trouble. He could do something about it, but was just going to meet them on the other side. And if you're thinking this translation... Maybe that translation is just a little off. Let's look at it another one. Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. So now we've gone from thinking that Jesus has his mind on other things, like walking on water, to his point for being on the water was to pass by them. But something interrupts him, doesn't it? When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And cried out. Jesus would have walked right by them and let them strain all night. But because they cried out, he stopped and he did something. Is it possible that God is passing through this church tonight waiting for you to cry out to him? The problem is we say things like, well, God's in control. God's in control of the storm. And that's true. But here we see a God who is simultaneously in control while being diverted by a response from his disciples. Write this down. Don't ever underestimate the importance of human initiative. This is kind of like later after Jesus died and rose from the grave. Oops, spoiler alert. No, it's only Friday, but he comes back. And after he rose from the grave, he was walking with some of his disciples But they didn't know it was him. They didn't recognize him. And he walked with them and he explained how Jesus was the fulfillment of God's plan. And as they were done walking together, Jesus started to go on. But they stopped him and they asked him to abide with them. What I love about this is God wants to work something out in your storm. But he's waiting for you to cry out before he does it. Because Jesus would have kept on walking unless they got his his attention. And the crazy part about this is they don't even cry out in faith. They cry out in fear. I mean, even even when we don't know what we're crying out about, when we're confused, don't know what's going on, just the sound of our voice to God will cause him to turn and immediately help us. He's so compassionate, the sound of our voice. 
So Jesus stops and he says something. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And when he said it is I, it's a reflection of God telling Moses in the burning bush that his name is I am. See, we expect God to always come in a comfortable way. We expect that he'll always come in a predictable way. But the same God who revealed himself in the burning bush is the same God expressed in the person of Jesus walking on a lake like a ghost in the middle of the night. The question for us is, can we recognize the presence of God when he comes in a way that we don't expect it? It's easy to recognize him in the blessing, isn't it? It's easy to say God is good when things are good. Can you recognize God even though you don't recognize the circumstance that he might be in? Can you learn to recognize him in sorrow and uncertainty? It's easy when the conditions are clear, when there's no waves, when there's no storm. Can you recognize his voice even though you can't see his face? Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, (laughs) tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Now, if I'm Peter and I'm looking for a sign that this is really Jesus, this is not what I'm asking for. I would ask, Lord, if it's you, stop this storm right now in Jesus' name. Stop it. Lord, if it's you, I mean, doesn't that sound better? Isn't that how we pray? Lord, if, it, if, if you really love me, give me a job by Monday in Jesus' name. God, if you really love me, get my boss a new job by Monday. <laughs> Jesus didn't reveal himself by improving the conditions. No, he could have. But Peter asked for a command. If it's you, tell me to come. I admire that a lot. If it's you, command me. Not, if it's you, give me a guarantee. Not, if it's you, make sure I don't get hurt out here on the water. Not, if it's you, make this end quickly. If it's you, command me. What if you stopped asking, asking God for guarantees and started asking him for a command? What if you started asking for a word? Peter had enough faith in Jesus to go walk on the water from one word from Jesus' mouth. He, he wasn't really walking on water. He was walking on C-O-M-E. Jesus says one word and he goes. He was walking on a command from God because one word dependent upon who speaks it, can change everything. Do you have enough faith to go walking on one word from God? Do you have enough faith to move towards the voice of the Savior even though the conditions in your life have impaired you from seeing his face? Pastor started a new series this weekend called Whispers from God, how to hear the voice of God, how to discern the voice of God in our life. It's going to be amazing. I am so excited for this thing to start. I want to hear God's voice in my life. I want to hear that word from him. Because as long as Peter was walking towards the word, everything was fine. But when he saw something that contradicted the word that came from Jesus' mouth, he started to fall. Same thing happens to you. Same thing happens to me. We get out there. We try to love somebody. And something happens in the relationship. They don't love us back. The wave becomes bigger than the word. We try to forgive, but the wave of unforgiveness starts welling up in our heart. Well, you keep walking toward the word or get wiped out by the wave. It's crazy. I tell you, it's crazy how I can wake up having a great day and I see one email 
and everything goes south. I hear one piece of news. I hear something on the radio and everything changes. I don't think this is a story about the seasons of our life as much as the moments. All of this happened in the span of just a few seconds. One word, one wave. He's walking, then he slips and falls. And everybody wants to make this story about how Peter fell because he took his eyes off Jesus. How Peter fell. But here's my question. What about all those other dudes in the boat not doing anything? Yeah, Peter failed, but he's the first to fail. Peter knew. I guarantee it. Peter knew when he went walking out on the water, he knew there was a high likelihood he was going down. But he knew more than that, that Jesus would catch him before any water got in his lungs. So he went walking on a word. He went walking towards the word, the one who commands the wind and the waves. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, held him under the water for 30 seconds, Looked at the guys back in the boat. Hey, let this be a lesson to you. Let this be a lesson. That's the God a lot of us grew up with. That's the God we're trying to interact with. No, what does it say? Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. The point of this passage was never to demonstrate the strength or the weakness of Peter's faith. The point was to demonstrate the greatness of God's grace. It's not a story about Peter who fell. It's not. It's not a story about Peter walking on the water. It's not a story about him falling. It's a story about Jesus who reached down and picked Peter up. It's a story about grace. Grace that is greater than your slip-up. Grace that is greater than the divorce. Grace that is greater than the cancer. Grace that is greater than the addiction. Grace that is greater than the opinions of the people back in the boat. Don't let anyone criticize you while you're walking towards the word. Yeah, Peter failed at what he set out to do. But Jesus succeeded in exactly what he set out to prove. Then we get, get to these words from Jesus. You have little faith. It's easy to recognize that as an insult. But let's move over to Matthew 13. Real quickly, Jesus was in a town and we see a similar thing but with a different word in the original language. It says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. They had no faith. Peter had faith. He was a man of faith. You know, we want to judge Peter about slipping while walking on water. We can't even get out of bed and have a quiet time. Peter's faith was strong. I believe that that what Jesus is talking about here is the duration of his faith. Your faith is strong. It's big. It was working. You were walking on water. But you stopped. Peter fell. We will too. But we got to be just close enough to Jesus that he can reach out and pull us back up. Verse 32, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Now why did Jesus wait until they got back in the boat to make the wind die down? I think it's because Jesus wasn't about to let this story end until Peter walked back to the boat. He will not leave you in your failure. He's not out to shame you. He's not looking to condemn you, to degrade you. He's a good God. Now in verse 33, we get to the point 
of this passage and the point of your storm, the point of your whole life, then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. The point wasn't to demonstrate Peter's water-walking skills. The point was to demonstrate Jesus as the true Son of God. Yes, Peter failed at what he set out to do, but Jesus succeeded in what he set out to prove. This was the first time the disciples had said this. They knew he was a provider. He multiplied fish and loaves. Now they knew he was a protector because they sent him into something. He sent them into something they couldn't be protected from and into something that they would have sunk if it weren't for him. Peter went walking on a word because one word, dependent upon who speaks, it can change everything. And one more thing on this. It's interesting that when you read about this encounter in the Gospel of Mark, by the way, Mark, Gospel of Mark was written based on eyewitness accounts from Peter. Church history tells us that Mark wrote that gospel on the reminiscence of Peter. So I want to read to you what Peter told Mark to say about this instance. Mark 6, 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was all alone on, on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because, all, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What's missing there? Where's Peter? Here's his chance to tell the story. Yeah, I got out there. Let me tell you, it was rough out there. Waves and the wind. But I just kept going towards Jesus, the Son of God. Knew it all the time. None of that. Because by the time Peter was telling Mark what to write, he learned what took him his whole life to understand. The point was never Peter to begin with. The point was It was never Peter. Peter said, here's what you need to know. We were in a storm. Jesus made it stop. And when he did, we knew he was the son of God. Write that down and tell the world. He knew what life, what all the stories about Jesus, all the parables, all the things of Christ's ministry were about. They were about him. They were about God. You might be thinking, well, that's great for Peter. He had a word from God. What's my word? Well, this is where Good Friday gets really good. I want to take a turn here to John 19. Jesus is on the cross. He's been betrayed, denied falsely, falsely accused, beaten, whipped. He's been laying down his life for hours. And coming to the end of this sacrificial time, says Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. It is finished. It would have been one word in the original language. One word in the Greek, tetelestai. The word tetelestai was also written on business documents or receipts. In New Testament times, it would show that that a bill had been paid in full. 
The connection between the receipts and what Christ had accomplished is quite clear. Because Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our sin is death. In other words, the only thing that could take care of sin is death. Keeping commandments? Nope. Doing good works? Nope. Reading your Bible? Nope. Praying? Coming to church? Nope, they don't take care of the problem of sin. They don't resolve the plight of our sin. The only thing that could take care of sin was death. In other words, somebody's got to die. Hell is not a place people go that God is mad at. Hell is a place people go to pay the wage. Death. God wants to spend eternity with you. It's the joy set before him. But we're all sinners with a price to pay. So he sends his son, Jesus, who's the only one qualified to pay the penalty for everybody because he was sinless. Jesus is the only one who could address the problem. The problem wasn't being bad, needing to become a good person. The problem was that we had a penalty to pay that could only be paid for by death. And Jesus is the only one that could solve the problem. The fact is that he's the only one that could take care of this penalty because he was the perfect... He was the Son of God who commands the wind and the waves. Scripture shows us that after Jesus rose from the grave, when he went back to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. You know, I'm blessed to be around some guys with some great, great work ethic. And you know what I noticed about them? They don't sit down until the job's done. When Jesus went up and sat down, he was saying, This is an accomplished fact. Tetelestai, it is finished. Paid in full. One word. Hebrews 12.24. You have come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. The blood of Christ speaks a better word. The last few weeks, I've been writing down and just compiling really the good things that happened when Jesus yelled that one word to Telestai on the cross. Not just because of the word, but because of who he is and the act that he was accomplishing And because he was about to rise from the grave, because of all those things, one word gave hope to the hopeless. He gave us the power and perspective to rise above our storm. One word swallowed up fear. One word made his mission and purpose unstoppable. One word absorbed the wrath of God. One word modeled obedience to the Father by the firstborn Son. One word showed the wealth of God's grace to sinners. One word showed love to you and me. One word released us from the law. One word paid our ransom. One word gave us justification. One word took away condemnation. One word abolished circumcision and following rituals for salvation. One word forgave us of our sin. One word made believers faithful, made us holy, made us blameless, made us perfect, cleared our conscience. One word obtained good things for us, none of which we deserve. One word gave us eternal life to all who believe in him. One word made healing from moral sickness possible. One word delivered us from this evil age. One word brought us to God, reconciled us to God, ripped that veil in half, allowing us full access to God. One word gave us confident access to the holiest place. One word gave us a place where we can meet God. One word made the eternal high priest accessible to us. One word freed us from the sins of our ancestry, freed us from the slavery of sin, made us Dead to sin and alive in righteousness. One word enabled us to live for Christ, not for ourselves. One word enabled us to live by faith in Him. One word created a place. Created a people passionate 
for good works. One word called us to follow his example. One word freed us from fear of death. One word made us a way for, for us to be with him. One word made a way for us to be with him immediately after death. One word secured our resurrection from the dead. One word disarmed the rulers and authorities. Feel free to celebrate. One word unleashed the power of God in the gospel. One word destroyed the hostility between races. One word ransomed God's people. Come on. One word rescued us from final judgment. One word gained his joy in ours. One word crowned him with glory and honor. I'll keep going until everybody's clapping. One word showed us that the worst evil can be used by God for good. One word by Jesus. Come on, stand to your feet. Yeah, your storm has a word for you tonight. Yeah, your family has a word. Yeah, your sickness has a word. Yes, your past has a word. Your sin has a word. But it doesn't have the last word. No way. Not after what Jesus did. It's done for you. Jesus has the last word. Band, come on up. One word from Jesus can change everything because Jesus has the last word. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we believe it tonight. The word you said was true. It's paid in full. It's finished. We don't have to work for it any longer. It's done. And we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor and all the glory because it's rightfully yours. We trust you. Now we turn to you for that command, for that voice, for that word. God, if it's really you, command me. Speak into my life. God, we open up our hearts to you. Soften our hearts that we may know you for who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen.